All right. I think I'm recording. All right. I'm trying to record in Audacity. Yeah. There's there's waves doing things. I feel like you should know if you're recording. You've been doing this for how many years now? Yeah, but on the other end, I always had Logic, which costs a lot of money. Now I'm trying Audacity. I'm going to be honest. I've never found anything you said to be that logical. (laughs) Very funny, Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. <laughs> I just got back from, well, not just got, but late, late last week, got back from GitHub Universe. I was mm-hmm. out in San Francisco with my team where we launched a thing. That was cool. Part of the advantage of going to HQ is that they have like so much swag sitting there. So when I showed up, it was like the day before the conference and the little swag, swag store area of HQ was pretty much fully stocked. So I grabbed some t-shirts for my kids. I grabbed, they had like these uh, Mona Lisa Octocat activity books. So I grabbed one of those. I grabbed my wife's shirt. I grabbed a couple shirts for me that I wanted. And I was like, oh, and a little Hubot figurine, which I've shown showing you right here. This guy. Yeah. So I grabbed one of me? those. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Feel betrayed. So then I was like, oh, cool. And then I saw a bunch of swag that they had at the conference itself. And I was like, oh, man, that stuff looks really cool. And then was able to sweet talk my way with uh, one of the designers to get some some extra stuff, which included a Octocat plushie, which I wasn't able to to get until then. I gave that to my six year old when I came home. And ever since then, all he can talk about is Mona Lisa. (laughs) <laughs> and he has stickers like I have a whole bunch of stickers too, which he's put all over his water bottles. He ran around the house yelling GitHub, GitHub, GitHub. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is <laughs> the marketing's even better than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I don't like the style of the new Octocat, but I think especially for like that demographic, it's it's much more effective. <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, oh, no, what have I what have I done to my child? <laughs> I'm mad at y'all right now, by the way. Is it because? down yeah and like it's one of those i have to open an incident on crates of io saying like we are aware you can't publish crates right now follow Mm -hmm. follow the github incident yeah so we're recording it is uh yeah we're very 21st we're very specifically dating the exact time that we're recording this october 21st it's about 8 8 45 p.m eastern time github has been down for an hour and a half I think. Yeah, long enough for me to feel I need to open an issue on Crates.io. This is the important part of the podcast where I have to say that I am on this podcast <laughs> as myself, Derek Pryor, not as an official representative of GitHub or GitHub.com or Microsoft or any of its affiliates. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> I feel like acknowledging that it's down isn't against any rules no, anywhere, no. I would hope. It's not like I saw that, you know, I was just on the couch and I flipped open Slack and I saw the announcement channel that said like GitHub is red and I was like, ooh, we're not red very often. And so I kept checking in as of recording right now. I think it's still red. So <laughs> so this is now the third incident I've had on Crates.io this week. This is almost a record. I wish it was a record. It's not a record, but. It's not our fault. This is the only one that's our fault, right? This is the only one that's your fault. No, the other two, one of them was a very not kind person's fault. And the other one was just an irresponsible person's fault. <laughs> slash my fault. Are you the irresponsible person? (laughs) No, I'm not. But the root cause analysis is I didn't spot a variable that needed to be higher. And also, like, it was just a person trying to download every crate. And they were sending us, like, six times our normal traffic, which I'm, like, we should be able to handle no problem. 
And I'm like, we can handle this. I'm just going to let them. I mean, they're breaking our, our unofficial, unpublished crawler policy, and I have every right to block them. But they're not hurting us right now, and I'm pretty sure we can handle this. So I let it go for like four hours. And then eventually I saw a two-minute spike in response times, at which point I blocked them. That one was really easy to fix, though. I'm pretty sure. I, I shouldn't say, like, I actually for sure have a root cause analysis. I'm pretty sure what it was was that we had a slight uptick in traffic to some of our other slower endpoints that also require a database connection. This person was sending us 120 requests per second, and we have 10 database connections available per server. We have two servers, and I'm pretty sure just we ran out of database connections. So I upped it from 10 to 15, and so I'm pretty sure that's all we needed to do. But okay. I, I won't actually know until somebody else sends me that sort of traffic for several hours again please do not send me that sort of traffic for several hours i will i will ban you if you try so please don't <laughs> so that was the that was the irresponsible one yeah what was the other one? Oh gosh okay so there's been a discussion around some of the policies or lack of policies that crates.io has that's been getting very heated lately and uh, it's basically around our policy on squatting which is basically the, the squatting on a name, like name domain squatting, name squatting, right. but yes. crate, crate squatting. Right. Okay. So the practice of uploading an empty, an empty crate to reserve the name. Now, okay. one thing that has become clear to me over the course of the last week is that oftentimes when I talk about crates.io and I intend to be speaking just as me and voicing my personal opinions, folks have been interpreting that as an official statement from the team or reflecting the opinions of other members of the team. So I want to be very clear, first of all, before we even begin to get into this, nothing I'm going to say today in this episode reflects anything other than my personal opinion. It is my personal opinion. It does reflect how I might respond to RFCs that come in. That is not a statement from the team, nor should you assume that any of my opinions reflect the opinions of the other team members. So please, please, please don't go on internals and like be angry that I'm shutting down discussions because I have opinions. Okay. This is not the team's opinion. This is one person's opinion. We've now both issued our own disclaimers and we can go on with the podcast. <laughs> I feel like the fact that I feel the need to make this strong of a disclaimer says a lot about how my week's been going. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, at least i mean the policy sounds pretty i mean i can't imagine being so fired up over name squatting i thought it was going to be a different policy than this but i'm curious let's go let's no, dig in so our policy is just we don't have one mm-hmm. so like you claim the name it's yours so you yeah. want empty you want to upload an empty crate it's yours Congratulations. And, so, and, and i feel like in general right if somebody squats a name and they're actually intending on using it at some point in the future that's fine and if they're not intending on using it at some point in the future, that kind of sucks. But I don't think that we should try to judge whether which case that is. Mm -hmm. And I think we have better things to do with our time than try to police that. Now, that said, there are some caveats that apply to all policies or lack of policies. If something is obviously becoming disruptive to the service, like if somebody goes and registers every word in the dictionary... Like, yeah, we're going to take that down. How do you feel about somebody registering, for instance, diesel, but they reverse the I and the E? This now gets into... That's not squatting so much as it's like, I don't know what you would call that. Well, so that's, that's called typo squatting. Sure. So this gets into some of the much more subtle cases. I don't know that I want to forbid that outright, 
That said, one of the things that is a policy we've basically always held that hasn't been clearly laid out that I do want us to lay out more clearly is that if you upload something malicious, we will take that down. Mm-hmm. So like if they reverse the E and the I, but it's like they're just doing a fun little crate, that's cool. If it's basically they re-export everything from diesel, but also they run a Bitcoin miner, that will get taken down. Right. Now, of course, that leads to the very hairy discussion of what constitutes being malicious. I'll know it when I see it. And that's, I think, if we put this policy, and again, the team has not discussed this, but I think if we do go that route, that, yeah, it will basically be, we won't define what malicious means beyond the team determines it to be malicious. Same as our, I do think we want to have the policy of we will, you know, not allow things that are disruptive, and I don't think we're going to actually ever properly define what disruptive means. Mm -hmm. Which is like, both fine and not fine, but ultimately, I think, kind of necessary. Okay, this all sounds totally reasonable. So where did it go off the rails? So it went off the rails when a user uploaded a little over 100 empty crates. Okay. They all in the readme say, if you want to use this name, contact me. Mm-hmm. I suspect they're trying to sell them. And mm-hmm. I think we maybe should have a policy against that. But if we did, it's basically unenforceable because like, unless the readme says like, I will give this to you if you give me money, like we cannot accept a forwarded email as evidence to take action against the user. So it's, and there are also, um, I had lunch with somebody at Rust Belt Rust who pointed out a lot of other reasons why this policy would be bad, but even not even going into that, it's more of like a, it would be unenforceable. So why bother? But anyway, I think that might be the case. I don't know either way. They uploaded something like 100 crates uh, that were empty. And so a lot of people were like, why is this allowed? Oh, my God, this is terrible. Uh, what, and one thing I, I do want to clarify to, to people, too, if we ever did have a squatting policy, our enforcement would look a lot like what, for example, NPM's enforcement looks like. I know their written policy doesn't necessarily reflect this, but their enforcement in practice reflects this. We're not going to go around actively trying to take down empty crates. That is just a waste of everybody's time. We have better things to do with our time than, than try and police that. The only difference in a squatting policy would be if you want to create a crate with some name. If you want to upload crate foo and there is an existing crate foo, but that crate happens to be empty. Right now, what you can do is, so you can try to email the author. You can also email us, and we will try to email the author. Mm -hmm. And then basically, if they say we can transfer it, we'll transfer it. Or if you email them directly, they may transfer it. And the only difference that would happen here is if we had a policy that says, if we had an anti-squatting policy, the only difference would be if they don't respond, then we would transfer the crate without their consent. That's the only thing that would change. Right. I'm trying to think of like, I know I've, heard of people uploading empty gems in Ruby gems before like Ruby gems as far as I know has no policy on this there's an issue that's been open for about four years okay so they have no policy (laughs) we should maybe figure out a policy yeah but I have had things where I've 
like invented a new gem invented i've written a new gem and i have a name that i'd really like to use for it and it looks like the name is taken by something that is either like never been downloaded you know everything has some downloads because people just like crawl ruby gems and download the things but it's clearly not in use or it is an empty gem and i've emailed the author and been like hey can i have this name and it's always worked out i think i've done that twice and it's worked out twice and i've also been emailed once about like hey can i have this name yeah and i think that's the the vast majority of the time like this is part of why i don't think it's a problem it's because like yeah that is how it works out the majority of the time and if that's not how it works out you come up with a, a different name right and honestly like that's kind of fine and if the squatters are taking all the obvious names like bites and like you have to come up with a better name for a crate that works the more creative name for a crate that operates on bites i don't mind that at all <laughs> honestly the world the world will go on you know again this comes with the caveat like obviously if there's obviously disruptive behavior we will intervene uh which is exactly what happened on monday so 100 crates was deemed to be disruptive no no that user is still there this was okay. 188 crates the 188 number was not the number the line on that one is somewhere i do not want to define that number mm-hmm. it's somewhere yep. But I definitely don't want to be like, and if you upload more than N empty crates, like, we ban you. That said, one of the things that came out of this incident was, oh, yeah, we need to pretty heavily rate limit this endpoint. Because this happened over the course of, like, 45 minutes, and that just shouldn't have been possible. So one of the things that we've done since this incident is now we rate limit that endpoint at a rate of one request per second. Okay. With a burst rate of 10. (laughs) Which like is right. super aggressive, but our average like there's you you just you're not gonna upload more than one package a second legitimately. No, was the difference between the second person and the first person just volume, or were they? No. So the big thing was their username was Crates.io. Yeah. And their README for all of their crates was if you would like to use this name, please open an issue on our issue tracker, linking to the official Crates.io issue tracker. Was this person's intent to like poke? basically to say like if you're not going to do anything about this first person that registered 100 crates then i'm going to do this to make your life more somehow harder or was it just like a coincidence that two people did this like what well so the timing was in no way related there was close to a month between the two i don't actually remember the exact time i think it was close to a month though now you ask was there intent to x none of us are mind readers like Mm-hmm. And we got to be very careful. Like, I can tell you what I think their intent was, but we do have yeah. to be careful about trying guessing intent and making it sure that we are aware that is nothing more than a guess. Sure. I was I was thinking that perhaps in this case, they actually told you what their intent was. But if no, that's not the case, and, then... and some of us thought that they would out themselves. I'm surprised that hasn't happened. But no, they have not like come forward. I do think that their intent was to make a point about this escalating discussion that's been happening around this. Okay. There have been uh, several folks on this internal thread. Uh, and for people who don't necessarily know what I mean by internal thread, we have a couple of forums, official Rustlang forums. One of those is internals.rustlang.org. And uh, that's sort of where like language changes get discussed before they get officially proposed. So when I say an internals thread, I mean a thread on internals.rustlang.org. And there have been a couple of posts on this internals thread that were... You know, well, eventually somebody's just going to create a bot to reserve all names on crates.io, and that's going to force them to change the policy. And one of the team members said something very prescient, which is eventually somebody will do something so egregiously spammy that we will be forced to take action. And all it will (laughs) accomplish is wasting anybody's time 
and it won't result in a change in policy. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly correct. Actually, it resulted in the change in policy. The change in policy is specific is we are now clarifying our policy to say uh, we took, we're taking this from Wikipedia. Do not try to disrupt our service to make a point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this all seems I mean, I, I'm an outsider and I haven't been living with this this week, but it just seems so harmless, I guess, like the idea, like what actual problem is happening as far as I can tell, like the, the actual problems that were that were disrupting the service were related to rate and things like that. But like nobody well, and impersonation. Uh, yeah, the impersonation, the crates IO part. Definitely. And then also uh, it was the rate. The rate came to the point that we got throttled by GitHub. So all all things that needed to interact with GitHub are taking 10 seconds. Yeah. And there are things that you probably noticed as a result of this that can be improved from the technical side. Oh, yes. But all you've done that person they've done is waste your and whoever else is on this team time to uh, this may not have been the highest priority thing that you could be doing with this time right now right it may be important work and work that you want to be doing but it's not necessarily what should have been on the top of your list but at the end of the day nobody is i mean maybe there's somebody out there who really has a great name for a gem that's being squatted on and that's the that's the impact like we talked about earlier is they have to come up with a different name somehow yeah is, is that it? <laughs> sucks but isn't the end of the world yeah I don't know. Seems like a lot of time being used by people like you who have mm, precious little volunteered time to do this during uh, for something that, uh, you know, shouldn't be the top priority. Probably. I don't know what other priorities you have, but I'm guessing that there was other stuff that you'd rather spend that time on. Well, I mean, (laughs) for example, my job. (laughs) Like one of the only reasons the incident response was able to be so quick was because, thank goodness, my boss was very like understanding of, hey, so this major incident happened and like I got to go respond to it. And then also the next day I have to go run a retro and write a postmortem report and deal with community management. And like this is going to take a lot of my time. Like this incident was a massive waste of time and especially, well, the other thing I really wanted to work on was my talk because I gave a talk yesterday. I wanted to hear about this. Just to, to date this for folks, today is Sunday. I gave my talk yesterday, which was a Saturday and this incident happened the preceding Monday. And literally I was trying to work on my talk when the incident occurred. How did the talk go, though? I, I have no idea what you were planning on talking about. I just saw the tweet from you yesterday or this morning or something that you were like, you've never felt so good after a talk or something like that. So I wanted to uh, I knew we were going to be recording soon. So I wanted to follow up and see, like, what did you talk about? Why did it feel so good? How did it go? Yeah. So the talk was going to be like it, it was the crates.io report for the year. It was just a report of like, hey, the crates.io team, it was founded this year. Here's what it is, why it needs to exist. And what we've done this year. And here's what we're planning on doing in the next year. And the majority of the talk was still that. Mm -hmm. The main thing that happened, there are a few things that changed as a result of this week. First of all, the first one is just, I'm really exhausted. And a lot of folks at the conference knew how exhausted I was. And so I I have a very specific way I start most of my talks. Like, hi, I'm Sean Griffin. I work for Shopify. I make these things. And today I want to talk to you about whatever the title of my talk is. Mm-hmm. And this talk I started with, hi, I'm Sean. Among other things, I'm a member of the Craze.io team. And it's been a long week. And then I also went on to explain how I'm realizing how people are taking things that I say as statements from the team. So the talk was given the hat that I always wear when I give talks became my team hat. <laughs> so 
If I was wearing the hat during the talk, I was speaking on behalf of the team. And if I took the hat off, I was speaking as myself. There was only one time that the switch happened, but I thought it was a clever little thing. And I've reminded I like people that. when I took that off. But yeah, that's cool. That's a good idea. I'm going to find a way to rip that off somehow. <laughs> and I felt a need to acknowledge the incident at the end of the talk and say a few things about like both in terms of direct impact to the team, like what it meant and some of the direct response. So like. One of the things that this incident has really taught me, because this, this discussion was escalating and it was getting very hostile. And so I just did what I always do in these situations. I stopped engaging. And one of the things that's taught me is that when you're doing an open source service, that's actually just not an option because there are still avenues for them to come after you. So I talked a little bit about that and then also just one of the reasons people are so frustrated is because they feel like we haven't been responding to this dissent. And so I wanted to make it clear to folks, like, you could start an internal thread and that's fine, but that's supposed to lead to a pre-RFC if you want to make a pre-RFC, which also happens on internals. But that's like the, you then draft up what would be an RFC and people discuss that. And then, and then you're supposed to open an RFC. And then we respond to the RFC. And if we accept the RFC, then action happens. And like, that's the process, but you can't just open an internals thread and get really mad that we didn't take action from that. So I want to talk about that a little bit, but then I, I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper too, just because I was really stressed out. I needed to vent a little bit. So I had a slide, it just said vulnerability on it. And my speaker's notes were talk about feelings until they make you stop. And I didn't rehearse any <laughs> so of your it. feelings make you stop or the conference makes you stop. Either one. <laughs> And I didn't rehearse it at all. I didn't write any of it in advance. I just sort of, you know, then stood up on stage for about 10 minutes and just like ad-libbed. And here's how all of this has made me feel. And afterwards, it was it was a few it wasn't until a few hours afterwards. I was really tired afterwards actually cuz I I'm either I've either just got conference voice going or I've got the flu. Probably the latter, but hopefully it's just the former. Anyway, for whatever reason, I was feeling really tired afterwards. So it was a couple hours till it really hit me. But then I, uh, later in the evening, I just realized I really needed that. Just mm -hmm. a chance to go like, honestly, in a safe space, which is really weird to me to, to, to say that like, yeah, and standing up in front of a crowd of like 100 people is a safe space, but it kind of is for me. You know, in a safe space, just say like, hey, here's how I'm feeling right now. Please empathize a little bit. Mm -hmm. And people seem to respond well to it. I don't want to make it out like I went up there and just, you know, moped and was like, oh, the poor, the poor maintainers. But, you know, it's been very frustrating because folks got mad that I didn't engage. And then so I started engaging. And the thing is, I just I happen to disagree with them. And so then mm -hmm. folks got mad that, like, by engaging, I, they felt I was shutting down conversation. And it's just very frustrating because it's like, what the hell do you want me to do? And I know what they want me to do. They want me to engage and they want the way in which I engage to be. Yes, I agree with you. But like. Sorry. Hmm. I mean, I've been learning a little bit of this myself in the role that I have at GitHub, which is as part project manager, part engineering manager, part developer, right? And like watching how our support team, for example, interacts with people who are making requests of our product. And their response is often like, we will pass this on to the team, right? Which is right. basically, we will take this under advisement. And that's sufficient. And a lot of times my response wants to be like, should we re should we reply to them and say, like, we're not going to do that? Like, that's not a thing we're going to do. And I think there are times where uh, that that type of response may be warranted. 
But for the most part, that type of response where you say like, no, 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 here's why we're not going to do what you're what you're asking us to do leads to the situations like you're talking about. Like they're just like, oh, they never listen. They just want to shut it down. It was like, well, actually, I thought we had really good reasons and I was backed up by a couple of people. And I, you know, yes, we will continue like me saying no right now is not me saying no forever. It's me saying no right now. And, and that's, that's the thing I need to get better at making clear too. Mm hmm. One of the things that I am trying to express when I disagree with folks on internal threads is when I say, like, I don't agree with what you're saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, and therefore you should stop. It's that. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to open an RFC, I really would like to see you address these points. And the ones I'm bringing up are our policy is much shorter in terms of text than what was posted in the original policy four years ago. And I've gone through the entire commit history and as best i can tell just the first time it ever landed in git it just had this much shorter version that basically says we don't have a squatting policy the original version was three paragraphs that laid out here's why we don't think it's a problem here's why even if we do think it's a problem policy doesn't actually help as much as you might think here's what we think the consequences are and here's why we don't necessarily think it's something that we need to take action on mm-hmm and basically, I, and I, I agree with basically all of the points laid out in that original policy. And so from my point of view, and again, this is my opinion, not the opinion of everybody on the team. But like, if you're going to open an RFC on this, I really think you need to say what has changed since that was written to make those reasons no longer valid. That's just good practice. I feel like like I'm thinking about like open source contributions. And if like I know a library has made a decision in the past to do something one way then I say, here's what changed, right? Yeah. I'm just like, first example that came to my mind is like, um, I submitted a pull request to deprecate force SSL and controllers oh, and yes. approached it in the same way. That was like, hey, this was a really good idea before, but now things are changing and Chrome expects us to have HTTPS throughout. And this is a really misleading function or method to have on controllers now because it's named the same thing as the application configuration option. Uh, and the application configuration option is far better. And so that's what's changed since, you know, this was introduced. And since the like there existed a time where having both of these made sense and it no longer makes sense anymore. And I think that the, that kind of approach is necessary for any time you're trying to persuade somebody is like, especially when you're trying to persuade them on something they've specifically made their mind up against in the in the past. Yeah. Which in your case, it sounds like you like it's all laid out in the in the policy. Uh, what the basis for the previous well, decision. That's one of the things that we need to do, though, is is I think we do need to take that original policy and put that in our currently published policy. Oh, right. I don't know right. how much that'll actually help or how much people are actually reading it, but I feel like it's worth putting there. At the very least, your your response at that point becomes, uh, have you read this policy? Can you address the concerns in it? Right? Yeah, <laughs> and that sounds a lot better. One of the things I did, was, which was a huge mistake, and it's been getting hung over my head continuously since I said it. <laughs> so I was trying to express like why I'm not responding to these threats. And I did a very poor job of framing it in that context. And so that's been getting used a lot as fuel for the fire of the teams just trying to shut us down. I don't know. Seems much ado about very, very little to me. <laughs> no, and I agree. And, and again, like at the end of the day, this just comes down to we have a lot of things that we need to focus on. I don't want to get into specifics just because bad actors exist, but like there are policies that we need to address that require actual lawyers. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you can kind of infer like what the consequences might be if we don't do this soon because it involves actual lawyers. 
the stuff that requires actual lawyers is for sure much higher priority. And there are also things that just like more frequently affect the stability of the site. Like we need a proper crawler policy. I need a, the actual numbers where I say, if you don't do this, I will ban you. Because right now mm-hmm. it's just sort of ad hoc and like we sort of have one and it's unpublished. And then they email me. And I'm like, here's our policy. Follow it, please. And then they get and they're like, well, how was I supposed to know that? And I'm just like, you weren't sorry. I really wish HTTP had a mechanism for me to like when I see you're doing this to like send an additional thing and be uh, that you would ever actually see. And I don't have to ban you and wait for you to email me. But that's the only way I have to communicate with you right now. Mm hmm. I've had that conversation more times than I would like. No, but it's it's also it's just been very stressful this week because even though I know it's an incredibly small portion of the community and that the folks who do agree with the status quo just aren't posting because they don't feel a need to. It's been very frustrating how much these handful of people are able to take up and unjustifiably large portion of my time and energy and the time and energy of other members of the team. I think that you have just described in a small, uh, micro climate, micro area, a problem that we are dealing with as a society. Yeah. (laughs) As a whole. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really is just the problem of the internet, you know, and, and these are lower stakes than some of the other areas where we're dealing with this problem, thankfully. But yeah, the, the ability for a small group of people coordinated or otherwise to make a large enough stink that the importance of their problem, their problem is addressed with a gusto that is not correspondent with the importance of the things that they're talking about. Yeah. And it's just the thing that makes this weird and different is that it feels like right now I can't just ignore it because if I do, they're going to try and take the site down, which admittedly it happened once. And I might be reading way too much into the fact that it happened once. And mm-hmm. it's entirely possible or even likely that this, in fact, was not a person trying to make a point, but was just a random troll who saw an opportunity to masquerade as somebody, you know, martyring themselves for this cause in order to just cause shit. And it's entirely possible that I, I'm actually worrying way too much about not engaging. In the short term, I'm terrified of not engaging because I don't want this to happen again because it takes a lot of my time and I care a lot about keeping Crates.io running. Yeah. These are the sort of feelings that I was talking <laughs> about earlier. Yeah, I think uh, for what it's worth from the Reader's Digest version I've gotten over the last half hour or so, uh, it seems like you're doing fine. Seems like you're doing a good job and it seems like it's impacting you. But, uh, you know, having a place to vent about it uh, at the conference and here and wherever else seems to help. So that's cool. Yeah, no, Um, I really did. I felt a lot better after the conference and I didn't expect that. And so that was great. I feel like this is a really dark note to to wrap on, but we are kind of at time. (laughs) Well, I can talk about what we what I did last week. Yeah, let's talk about what you did last (laughs) week before we wrap. I I would very much prefer to have a lighter note. (laughs) So ever since I joined GitHub, I've been working on a feature called Suggested Changes, which landed at GitHub Universe on Tuesday. So that was something that we pushed out. It's a public beta, which means we're kind of monitoring how it's used and people can give us feedback and we can determine the next directions or things like that. I'm pretty confident. Again, I'm going to take the org hat off and say that this is just my this is just me talking like this feature is not going to go away. This feature is going to survive this beta. The response to it was immediate and good. (laughs) 
<laughs> so thousands of suggestions were created on the first day. People were applying suggestions. The feedback that we're getting for things that people would like to see more from it are in line with what with what we'd expected, basically. Was that expectation that people were going to want multi-line suggestions? The things that we expected people would want were multi-line suggestions and the ability to batch multiple suggestions into a single commit, uh, which were things already on our, like these are things on our radar, but we knew that shipping what we had was useful to in a certain context. So if you're not familiar with it, basically uh, when you're leaving a suggestion on a pull request now, what used to be common for me was that I would type out uh, in a markdown code block, like I would do something like this and I would type suggested code back. And the workflow at that point for you was to like open up that file, particularly if it was something pretty simple where I was like, oh, you're doing maybe there's a, a style, maybe it's a style fix, more likely like you're using a less efficient member of enumerable than you could be using or something like that. And so I would leave a suggestion in a markdown code block, you would find that suggestion, you would go to your editor, you would open up the file, find the line, copy and paste or retype my suggestion, and then commit and push the commit, right? And then it gets outdated. I feel like it's especially useful for pros. Yes, it's going like, to be especially You forgot useful. an apostrophe here, those sort of yeah. changes. And that's what I was thinking of exactly. Like so many times when I was building this feature, I was like thinking about the ThoughtBot blog, for yeah. instance, as a thing that is written in Markdown, pushed to GitHub, pull request review. Uh, our legal team internally was like, oh, this is awesome, right? They do a lot of their stuff on GitHub in prose. But yeah, so now basically you can type that same Markdown code block and you just give it a file type of suggestion. So you say triple backtick suggestion and you type the code you want. And then it becomes marked up with a diff in the pull request view with a button that is visible to the person who authored the PR, anybody assigned to the PR that can say, yes, merge this. Basically. Well, I've never even actually typed suggestion. I just because you just click the button and it gives you the triple back ticks with the right type and all yeah. of the code currently on that line. And then you just sort of edit it. Yeah, and that's what you want because that, that button also gives you the indentation you need yes. at the correct level, which is really the key part for the button. And uh, a little tip, the keyboard shortcut is Command-G or Control-G, oh, depending on your know. platform. I don't think I can share any of the usage numbers right now. I think we're actually going to share some in a blog post in the next week or two. So keep an eye out for that. But it's good. People are using it a lot. And a lot of my team who worked on this were surprised by the amount of usage. And I was just like, no, as soon as I heard it, like when I was joining GitHub, this is they told I was like, what am I going to be working on? And they told me about this. And I was like, I want that. Let's do that. And of course, the thing I had in my head was something where you did like not not only multiple lines, but like non contiguous multiple lines. So you can say like, oh, rename this variable throughout this file. Oh, that that's an interesting one. That seems right. like a very right. high effort feature. Yeah. and But I mean. Working on this has given me ideas on how you might do something like that. Gotcha. But things like batching and multi-line are certainly things we're talking about doing. But yeah. uh, again, like it, it, part of part of the ethos of uh, that I learned at Thoughtbot about delivering features is like what is the core thing that we can ship, especially knowing that we had a hard deadline of getting this thing ready for Universe, which didn't mean that it had to be done the day before Universe. It meant it had to be done a month before Universe. Right. right? And so. We were working on a tight timeline and it was like, OK, well, yeah, multi lines would be awesome. But if multiple lines are useful, you know what's useful? One line. One line is useful. So that was like, let's see how that goes. And again, back to your earlier point, like then it was a matter of like watching Twitter for feedback and seeing like somebody might express that they don't like it. We got a lot of like multiple line stuff and that stuff was fine. That stuff actually felt great when we got that feedback because we already had things in our backlog for addressing these things. So it was like, great, we already know about that. We also broke PHP suggestions. and We didn't break PHP itself. We broke suggestions in PHP. Uh, it had to do with the way code highlighting is different for PHP for some reason than all the other code that we highlight. Or maybe some other languages too. But basically, you would start to see some of our markup rendered in your suggestion. 
if you tried to apply the suggestion, it worked just fine. It was just a rendering problem. That was unfortunate. And that lived for that. That took us a couple of days to, to figure out and come up with a good solution. But if you tried it on PHP and it didn't work and you're like, oh, that thing doesn't work. Try it again because it works now. So you but, mentioned uh, you've had like several thousand suggestions. And I can't share exact numbers, but how many yeah. of those suggestions have been the exact content you should use diesel for this? <laughs> and do you have numbers on how many of those have been applied? Because I've been doing that a lot and nobody's applying it. They keep saying it's not valid syntax, which I don't <laughs> I don't get, but uh, I don't have those numbers. Sorry. I don't have those specific <laughs> numbers. Although I did like, so the thing I'm running into now is I really love this feature. And when we launched the feature, we had like an onboarding prompt. So it says like it, the, the minute you go to comment on a PR, it gives you this little like pop up right above, right below the button that says like, Hey, there's this new button here. It's called suggested changes. Here's what it does. I would love it if it did that for all the new buttons that are appearing at the universe. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the new stuff you saw was uh, in error, I believe. Probably. Um, oh, I should probably actually go check if I'm still even seeing that. If you're like me and you were in a hurry when you did that, you just clicked OK and you didn't read it. You were like, yeah, go away. I'll figure it out later. Right. Like I'm trying to make this comment. So there's an, a number of people who don't follow me on Twitter, don't follow GitHub on Twitter, don't don't read the GitHub blog, don't care about what GitHub universe is or even know it exists. Right. And so how do we reach those people to tell them like, hey, there's this thing. And so right. when I was flying back from universe, I was like floating around major open source repos, <laughs> looking at documentation and being like, oh, here's a typo. And then like doing a suggested fix <laughs> because I was like, oh, people will see it and they'll be like, what's this thing? Right. And so I think that that's really I, I think we'll see it grow again. I think the initial growth was just people who either saw the onboarding prompt or knew about it from universe. Well, I think it's also like. You don't necessarily need the entire population to know about it, right? Obviously, to make a suggestion, you need to know about it. But as a maintainer, if you just receive, or a pull request author, like if you have a pull request and you just receive a suggestion, then it becomes super clear that the feature exists. And it's really, the UI is very self-explanatory when you receive a suggestion. Right. And that's, what, that's why I was floating around on all these projects doing it, because I was like, a, the person who receives these suggestions and B, like the po the person who's going to merge these things might be like, what is that? Right. Well, then you right? ask like, whoa, how did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get any. Whoa, how did you do that? But like you could always look at the raw markdown source and just see like, oh, triple backtick suggestion. That does yeah, it. but if you don't know the button is there, it's the button, a lot less yeah. useful. The button is killer. Got to have the button. One of the things that has been interesting to see is like it takes that code block from an area where you're like typing things about the code that you want to exist or about the code that already exists into an area where you are typing the code that will exist. Right. And it's not an editor. Right. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the suggestions that we got on Twitter that I haven't, that we hadn't anticipated were things like, I want an 80 column character mark. I want, you know, keyword highlighting as I type. I mm. want all this other stuff. And I'm like, Hey, that, that makes sense. But this block is not an editor yet. Right. Again, not announcing any new features here. I'm just saying that right now it's not an editor. Well, and I also wonder when you start to get into like multi-line or like disjoint multi-line changes, I wonder how much of that also like could get like you make a pull request to their branch sort of workflow. But then that just happens to get rendered as every chunk is a suggestion. Derek's nodding in a very much I am not announcing any features right now sort of fashion. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. But basically that came from like my second week on the job, uh, we had just made the decision that like, we're not going to do multi-line. We're just going to do like single, we're just going to do single line. And then I woke up with that exact idea in my head. Like, whoa, what if suggested changes were just a hidden pull request to yeah. a pull request? And 
it was like, oh, you could get non-contiguous, you could get multi-line, you get all, you could get CI to run, yeah, you could do like all these things, but it is a lot more work, and it oh, was like, no, you know, what we need course. to do. We but need from to ship a this UX perspective, that seems like pretty killer, right? And that's the other because the other thing people are asking for, and we can hide a little bit behind the fact that it's only single line. That it's like, oh, it's meant to be small changes that are ob- like small, obvious, rather obvious changes, right? And you know, and there's there's other parts too, other discussions I've had on Twitter which were really good around like, hey have you thought about the potential for abuse with this? Which the answer is yes. At GitHub, we have a community and safety team who we engaged for this feature. And we talked about like who should be able to apply a suggestion, things like that. But there's some concern that like, let's say you're a junior developer and you get a bunch of suggestions from a senior developer. Are you just going to click apply? And should you, should you like, is it a, is it better for you to go back and type them out? And I think that for a certain type of person at a certain area of their career, the answer there is probably yes. And B, are you going to be less likely to have a conversation about that suggested change when you could just apply it with a click of a button and make somebody happy? And those are things that we'll be watching and we'll be listening for. Because <laughs> I don't think there's a great answer. I don't want to optimize for I don't want to optimize for bad actors, right? Optimize right. for protecting bad actors. But I also want to make sure that we are making something good. So those are the types of conversations that have been interesting to be a part of. Cause like, again, I don't want to commit to like, we're going to make a change here. or We're going to do this. But all I can say is like, like I was suggesting before, like interesting. Thanks for the, you know, the point you've made here. Right. This is what we were thinking. Like, this is the reason we came up with what we have now. How do you feel about that? That type of thing. Those are the conversations I've been having with people. Well, I can say at least for, from my personal point of view of all of the features that were announced at universe, it's the only one that excited me or that I'm really using it all, but I think it's a great feature. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we, and we knew that kind of going in that like, it was going to be the thing that people at no matter how you use GitHub, like if you use pull requests on GitHub, you can use this, right? Yeah. And so it, it casts the widest net. There's lots of other things there, like different vulnerability things that we now do, like if now do Java and .NET vulnerability scanning, right. things like and, that. And the, and the key, the, the key scanning, which like I'm sure eventually that will save save my butt, but that's right. not a thing I frequently find myself running into anymore. Yep. And then, of course, the thing that stole the show was actions. So GitHub actions, which is like basically yeah, we're going to use those, though. So. I'm pretty excited about them personally because there's sure. things that I do that I do that I want to use GitHub Actions for, but I can't get in on beta just yet. Uh, <laughs> I've got to get in on that beta. But there's things that I like when we triage issues that come in for GitHub, we like make a specially formatted comment and then we add a bunch of labels and then we add it to a project board in a certain column. And I was like, oh, we can like if I just make this comment. I should have a thing that just like reads the comment and reapplies all the labels and moves it to the right column. And those are things that I could do with GitHub Actions, presumably. You know, I should actually see if it maybe improves the situation for fast attributes, because like right now, our build process is really crappy. It's like a pull request comes in and then we run CI on all of the different architectures that we want to precompile for. And the only thing I've been able to figure out how to make it automatically do on success is upload a tar file containing the shared object as a uh, GitHub release <laughs> with the title being like SHA, commit SHA hyphen architecture, which is like really not great. And really all I want it to do is just like, I only want that to happen on master and I want it to do that and then commit that file and push to a branch. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> can I make actions do that? Yeah. You could make actions do that if you get in on the actions beta. <laughs> okay. We'll have to talk about getting me in on the actions beta after we're done recording right. then, because that would be killer. <laughs> I don't want to say you could definitely do all those things, but that is exactly, those are the types of workflows that it's like, you can hook into these events and then you can run whatever arbitrary code you want. 
which is the scary part, but also the awesome part, mm. right? So I'm not the expert on actions. I didn't work on actions. There was a team of 45 some odd people that probably you know, across the company that worked on getting that done for universe. And the whole company is pretty excited about it. And the stuff I've seen is pretty odd. Like I hadn't seen very much of it heading into universe. And then we were watching the keynote and I was like, holy crap, this looks awesome. I want to use it for, and I thought of five things immediately that I would use it for. So I think if you look at it, you'd be like, yeah, I, I could find a place to use that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's some exciting features. I, I'm hyped. <laughs> good, good. Sufficient. I've sufficiently hyped you on actions. That was one of my favorite things is when we got the feature to a point where it was like usable on GitHub and we enabled it on GitHub to make to make like suggested changes to the PRs that were building suggested changes. It was like basically self-hosting at that point. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And lots of different things we've noticed, like it became easier for a lot of people have a workflow where they create a PR and then they're the first person to review it. And people are leaving suggestions on their own PRs to enable, like to just go back and be like, oh, yeah, I should have I should have like removed this, you know, console debugger here. So I'll just like make a suggestion to delete the line or, you know, whatever. They're doing things like that. And then obviously we, we heard the suggestion. We heard the people, everybody who uses pros. For me, the first the first killer was like when I had pushed a pull request and like with things and you know, files that haven't been added yet and things like that. And then I get an email that's like, oh, you need to make this one small change before you can merge this thing. And to be able to just like go to the browser and be like, oh, you proposed it, except. Right. And then like when CI passes being like merge and done. Right. And not have to do the thing where you're like, oh, let me stash this or like create a whip commit, switch over to my branch, like that whole thing. Right. Like I said earlier, right? I think it's really killer for pros. And I'm partially just saying that because. I've written actually not very much code in the last few weeks, but I've been spending a lot of time writing prose because I'm all about policies and incident retrospectives <laughs> these days. And it's been well, really, go. really useful for specifically those use cases. Like I know it's also useful for other use cases, but like specifically while it's still limited to single line, like mm -hmm. multi-line actually I don't think is particularly useful for prose. Or at least it's not, it, it does not increase the usefulness for pros as much as it would increase the usefulness for code. So it, like... It, the one difference being if you hard wrap your pros. Right. True. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that, yeah. that is true. But yeah, but you see what I mean? Like, like I think it's yep. definitely closer to the ceiling for pros right now. So I think it's been really killer just for that specifically. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that for for that reason in uh, in particular. The, after it was announced at GitHub, I went into like the Xbox. We have our Xbot alumni Slack, and it's so I jumped in there. You're not supposed to tell them. Oh, whatever. And so I posted there to say like, "Hey, we did this thing." And then I went into Thoughtbot has a channel where like if you it's called Couch or whatever, and where you you're basically on the couch, you're just chatting with people. I guess is the idea. And so I posted there like, hey, we just announced this thing. And Ian wrote back and was like, oh, we just used that on, on ThoughtBot.com. And he sent me a screenshot of the change that they did on ThoughtBot.com, which was removing me as a host from Bike Shed. <laughs> <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> I was like, really? Really? That's what you send me? <laughs> wow. And they were like, yeah, that's harsh. Yeah, it was a total coincidence. They didn't know that I had worked on the feature at all. I hadn't yet said in the channel, like, hey, this feature exists. They just saw the onboarding prompt and were like, hey, what's this? <laughs> oh, uh, wow. That's that's, that's <laughs> harsh. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, we should wrap up. Yeah, we going. should wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at yakshave.fm slash eight. As always, ratings, reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have any feedback about this episode, you can tweet us at underscore Yakshave, email us at hosts at yakshave.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to Yakshave, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>